You are listening to The Airing Cupboard, the podcast where the extraordinary stories of ordinary people get an airing. Phew, that's a mouthful. So, I noticed you disappeared into the wilds of the Suffolk countryside last week, and now you're back to join me again in the safe confines of the air and cupboard, which can only mean one thing. I believe you have a little story to tell us. I do. Um, it's a bit cramped today, because all the children's uniforms are drying around us. Is that why you're stooping low on the floor? <laughs> I don't know, put my head in shirts and, mm. and stuff, but um, yes, I do have a story. It's um, quite exciting because this is the very first story that somebody leaves on my website. She described herself as um, mid-30s. Um, she said she's the type of person that you would meet and you probably wouldn't remember. Although I'm sure that's probably not true after I hear her story. And she's from Belgium, like me. And she lives in Liège. And to sort of the south of Belgium, and she gets a new job in Brussels. And to get to a new job in Brussels, she must commute and she takes train. And, and then from the train, she takes a, a metro underground. And then from there, she has to walk for 15 minutes. It's in a quite a leafy uh, area of Brussels. And a 10 minutes walk, 10, 15 minutes walk, is it's a very pleasant one on quite streets with big trees. On the very first day that she walks to her job, she passes in front of a small bistro, a small Moroccan bistro. And there on the, on the side, on the pavement, there is a bike and with a big basket. And uh, the shop seems to be pretty much empty but there is a nice music coming out and it's literally just making the corner of those two streets and she has to pass in front of both windows of the of the shop and she noticed him on the very first day she said he wasn't the tallest of man there was something about his face that was at the same time quite joyful but also quite reserved He's got floppy hair and he had a linen shirt and his trousers were slightly baggy and creasy. And uh, he's sort of cutting vegetable or doing something behind his counter and he looked up and he just gave her half a smile. And that was it. She went to work. But when she passed back in the evening, she saw him again and he smiled again. And she risked a little smile. She says she's quite shy by nature. And there he goes, every day that she passes, there is glance, smile, but there is always some sort of contact being made. And um, in the morning when she wakes up, she finds herself being quite excited about going to work. It sort of brightens her day to know that this very charming man is going to somehow look at her and smile at her. Um, she finds herself choosing her clothes a little bit more carefully and 
thinking about how she might wear her hair or do her makeup. However, on some rainy days, it's a little disappointing because it just doesn't open its shop. It doesn't seem to be that inclined to um, make huge success of his bistro and uh, rainy days he's just not there and the first thing she always noticed is that the bike is not parked in front of his shop and those days she can't but feel the disappointment. They never speak, they just acknowledge each other's presence and, and she sometimes feels his eyes on her back as she passes by. And then one day she came out of the underground and in the deadness of all those long, dry corridors, she turned the corner and there he was in front of her. And it's almost like moment stopped in time. And that was the very, very first time that they spoke to each other and all they could manage was hello. But never mind, that little hello was enough for, for him to speak to her the next time that she passed by. He sort of was sitting on the tables that were laid outside um, underneath the canapé on the corner of his bistro and um, he stopped her and he said, tonight maybe, if you have time and I don't want to intrude, if you would like to, you could come in and maybe we can share some tea together. And she said, that, well, that, that would be very nice. Thank you very much. And indeed, all day, she has this trepidation and this feeling of excitement. And at the same time, she's terrified because this has been sort of going on now for a good few weeks. And it's a little bubble of joy in which she can get in and, and rejoice. And she's scared to burst the bubble by having a conversation with him. But never mind. In the evening, she walks there and here he is. He's sitting outside waiting for her. And they have a fantastic two hours together chatting about all sorts of things. And they find that they have many interests in common. He loves music, jazz, classical music. He's very well read. He comes from the Atlas and um, she also visited Marrakesh in the past and, um, and had a day trip on the Atlas and was fascinated by the, the raw beauty of the place. And, uh, and they find that they could speak for hours. And that night, when she goes to bed, she lies down flat in the dark and she knows she's half smiling and her eyes are wide open. And so it goes. Most nights after work, she finds herself sitting there with him. His shop always seems to be rather empty, but it doesn't seem to worry him. His customer all seems to adore him. He always has people dropping by and, you know, giving him great big hug and having a good old joke. They never really seem to speak about their private life, but they discuss life in the present and what interests them. And just like this, ever so quietly, ever so naturally, she falls in love with him. And then one night, as they are there together, drinking tea, he looks at her and he says, I would like to give something to you. 
I hope you will accept my gift. It's a small gift, but I would like you to have it. And he gets up, goes behind his counter and comes back with a little packet, a little newspaper packet. And she unwraps the newspaper and there in the newspaper is a really nice necklace. It's sort of half black beaded and there is a pendant and the pendant is sort of a low quality silver and he explains to her that it's a Touareg compass. It's a type of jewellery that is styled and made by the Touareg people that walk through the Sahara. And uh, she's ever so grateful and very excited. And so she fiddles with the clip to try to put it on. And as she fiddles with the clip, she breaks it. And he immediately says to her, don't worry, it's, it's not of great value, I will fix it. And he gets up again, he goes behind his counter, he fiddles in a pot and comes back with a paper clip. And he sits back in front of her and with great concentration and his floppy hair hanging in front of his face, he threads the paper clip through the beads and somehow fixes the necklace. The paper clip being the clasp of the necklace. And he gets up and comes behind her and he moves her hair to the side of her neck and very softly attach the paper clip to the clasp around her neck. And she said that never in her life had she known a moment of such sensuality and yet nothing had happened between them. Obviously, the relationship sort of takes on a different type of meaning. They both know they are in front of something quite strong and quite extraordinary. And yet they seem to be wanting to take it ever so slowly. Nothing happens between them. And they're savouring this time that precedes the beginning of a big story. One morning, it's a rainy day. She arrives and she sees it from quite a distance. The bike is not there. Now this surprises her because since they had become so close, whatever the weather, it was always open, hoping to see her. Because they had never exchanged phone numbers, there would be no other ways for them to get in touch with each other. He didn't even know where she worked. And so she's feeling rather disappointed, but she, just think something must have happened and he will be there maybe tonight when she comes back. But in the evening, sadly, the shop is closed. So, as it is the next day and next day and weeks go by and the shop stays shut. One day she comes in and she really can see through the window somebody's been in and has tidy things away. There is no more oranges in, in the big a wooden bowl, um, there used to be ham hanging on hooks on the ceiling. All of this is gone. It looks like it's properly shut. There is no note on the windows, nothing that indicates what's happened and how long it might be shut. And she is amazed by 
how much of a void this creates in her life. A week later, she received the news from work that she will be posted on a small island in Greece to help sorting the migrant crisis. It will be a six-week posting. She moves to Greece for six weeks and the six weeks quickly transform into 12 weeks. By the end of the 12 weeks, she is shattered emotionally and physically and she actually chucks the job in. She returns to Liège, take a few weeks off and eventually find a local job where she suffers no stress and sort of resume her life. And she said herself, a very lonely life. One day she wears the necklace as she still often wears this Tuareg compass. And she's got it around her neck and she gets to wherever she needs to get. She puts her hand to her neck and it's gone. She's lost it. It must have fallen off. She is immensely sad to have lost this necklace. But somehow she also feels that maybe it's for the best. If he had come out of her life, that was the end of the story. The necklace was also going. Now six weeks later, she's browsing social media and there she sees it. It's a small ad which says, please help us to reunite this beautiful necklace to its owner. If you think this is yours, reply in a private message with just one word. The only thing she can see on the photograph is the Touareg compass. She cannot see the beads and most importantly, she cannot see the clasp. She thinks it cannot be mine, but I'm going to try. And she replies on a private message with just one word, paperclip. Within five minutes, her phone pings and yes, it is hers. It's her necklace. This man had found it, he has a teenage daughter, he brought it home wanting to give it to her and the teenage daughter said, no dad, we're going to run a little ad and we're going to see if it works, you know, and if we can find the person that's lost it. And um, they asked for her address and three days later, as promised, it's in a letterbox. She takes the little box and go back up into her apartment and lay it on the kitchen table. She takes the scissors, cut through the box and they're beautifully wrapped in pink tissue paper is a Touareg compass. She opens the tissue paper and, and looks at it, take, takes it in her hands and feel the paper clip between her thumbs. And then suddenly she noticed there is a small note. And she opens the note and it just says, while running this little ad in the last five weeks, we were contacted by a man and he asked us that if we were ever able to reunite this necklace with his right owner, could we please 
give the owner this name and this address. And she looked at the name and there he was. She sat down at the kitchen table with some paper and a pen and she wrote him a letter. And that's the end of the story. Mm. Or the beginning of it, perhaps. Yeah, but sadly I don't know any more. This was left um, to us, as I said, at the beginning by email, and I contacted her again to ask her if she wanted to speak, um, which she didn't reply, and eventually she just replied with the photograph that I had asked of the, the necklace, and that's all I have. Hmm. So I suppose... We just have to imagine. Well, thank you for that story. <laughs>